But I do want to look at the message that I've prepared for today. We are three weeks into just kind of a short five-week series in which we're looking at various texts from the first two chapters of the Bible, the chapters that tell us the stories of our beginnings. Some of the foundational information is given right there in those first two chapters of the Bible, things that will help us understand the rest of God's word. We talked two weeks ago about the importance of just those first four words, in the beginning, God, the pre-existence of God, and, and how that impacts our understanding of how God is working in our lives today. We talked last week about the importance and the authority of God's words, the fact that when it came to creation, the Bible makes a point of saying, God said God said, and it was. God's words are powerful and important. We talked about that last week. Today, I want to shift our focus a little bit. We spent two weeks talking about God's role in the creative process. Today, I want to shift our focus to our part in God's creation, our role in the creation story. Uh, We talked last week about God taking six days to create the various elements of the universe. And he did it very methodically, very purposefully, one thing at a time. And in Genesis chapter one, at the end of that list of what happened in the six days, we learned that the final part of the creative process was the creation of human beings. Genesis chapter one deals with that topic very broadly, just talking about humankind. I want to read two relevant verses to you. This is Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. It says, God blessed humankind and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. That's how Genesis chapter one describes the creation of humankind. Genesis chapter two goes into more detail. It tells us that the very first man was named Adam. It tells us the story of Adam and Eve. It tells us where they were. And I'm going to read just one relevant verse from uh, Genesis chapter two, verse 15. You see it on the screens. It says, the Lord God took the man, he took Adam, and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, obviously, there's plenty more that we could say about the creation of humankind. There's plenty more that the Bible has to say about the creation of humankind, but those three verses are kind of the ground zero for what I wanna talk about today. They give us the important information that we need. Next week, we're gonna look more deeply into the creation of Adam in particular and Eve. We're gonna talk about Adam and Eve, and we're gonna see what the Bible is telling us there about gender roles. Oh my goodness, pray for me, because we've got some hot sermons coming up. There's all sorts of things going on in there today, but today, We're going to deal more broadly about what the Bible says about humanity as a whole. When I was in junior high school, uh, I made a decision to to start an aquarium for tropical fish. I I wanted to have tropical fish, and uh, I didn't know how to do that. I saved up my money and and went to the pet store and bought the gear that I would need, but I, I didn't actually know how to set up the aquarium And in those days, when you didn't know how to do something, you couldn't Google it. And so I went, um, are you ready for this, folks younger than me? I went to the library and I used the card catalog to check out some books 
about how to set up an aquarium. If you don't know what those words mean, ask somebody uh, my age or older, and, and we'll be real cocky when we tell you the answer to it. <laughs> but I checked out some books from the library about how to set up an aquarium so that I could read through those and learn how to set up my aquarium, and that, that's how I set up my aquarium. Uh, I set up the water, I put the gravel in there, I bought some fake stones, I bought some plastic plants, I of course had to have a filter, there was an air pump and all the bubbles that would come in, had to get all the chemicals and all of that sort of stuff and I set this all up. Now the books that I had said that once you set your aquarium up, you've got to get it, give it a week or two before you can put fish in there because the pump has to do its things and the chemicals kind of have to settle down and, and, and the biology in there has to percolate. You can't just pour water in a, an aquarium and throw some fish in there. You, you gotta give it some time, you gotta let it be and let it do its thing and then you can add the fish. And I am nothing if not a compulsive rule follower so that is what I did. I set up the aquarium, it had everything in it, plugged it in, got everything together, tested the chemicals and then sat. And so there was a period of a week or two where in the family room in my parents' house there was an aquarium all set up, beautiful, with no fish in it. And I remember those first couple days looking at it, especially in the evening as the sun would set and it would kind of be darker in the room, but you leave the light on in the aquarium and, and the bright fluorescence of that and the colors of all the stones and the gravel and, and the hum of the motor and, and the bubbles gently undulating. And I remember sitting there and thinking, wow, that looks good. And also I was proud to have done all that work and put it together and like, you know, nothing was leaking. It was like, it looked really good and it was functioning and it was really nice. And I can vividly remember even thinking, you kind of don't even need to put fish in here. I mean, it's just really cool looking and it's really relaxing and it's really nice to look at it. It's almost not even worth adding fish to this aquarium. But of course, you don't build an aquarium to look at plastic plants and fake rocks. And so beautiful as they are, they're not the point. They are merely an environment for the real focus of an aquarium, which is, of course, the fish. And so two weeks went by and I collected my pennies and went to the pet store and started buying fish and adding them to my aquarium. And that's kind of the way that the book of Genesis in the first chapter wants us to understand our role in creation. The universe creates, uh, contains rather great beauty. There are mountains, there are forests, there are beaches, there are stars, and we probably all have our favorite places to visit or look at or even just imagine. But from God's perspective, as beautiful and majestic as those things are, none of them is the point. None of them is the point. They are merely plastic plants in his cosmic aquarium. And he set all of those things up first and let them percolate in his perfect order so that he could have them prepared as the perfect environment for his masterpiece, which was humankind. And that's why any talk about our role in creation starts with this. Humankind was the final element of creation. Now, I've talked a few times in the last couple of weeks about what I think the relevant questions in the book of Genesis are and what some of the questions that we sometimes get 
uh, obsessed with, but aren't really as important when you, when you understand it. And, and this is another one of those issues. I don't think that the Holy Spirit gave us the book of Genesis, a book that talks about six days of creation. I don't think that the Holy Spirit did that so that we could take notes and memorize which things came on which day. Like really quick, birds, what day was that? Was that day three, was that day four, day two, day five? Do we have anybody for day six? You know, I, I don't think that's really the most important reason why we have the book of Genesis. And yes, Stacey Raymond, I did see your hand in the back there. I also don't think that the Holy Spirit gave us this book so that we could have scholarly debates with evolutionists about just how long it took before human beings appeared on the earth or whether or not cavemen battled with dinosaurs. I'm not saying that those things aren't interesting. And I want you to hear me say this very clearly. I'm also not saying that the Bible isn't true. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying that I don't think that's what's most important. I don't think that those things matter nearly as much as do the things that Genesis really is trying to teach us. I believe that the Holy Spirit gave us the book of Genesis and specifically these first two chapters so that we would know that we are not just one more element in creation. You and I are not just another brick in the wall. We are the final element in creation. The rest of the universe is admittedly amazing, but the book of Ephesians says, but we are his masterpiece. We are the fish. Everything else is just the aquarium. And just like I didn't add my fish until the rest of the aquarium was up and running and ready, God didn't insert us into the universe until everything, up, everything else was up and running and ready. Everything else was perfectly in place. Do you remember that he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he took that little paper like I had for my aquarium that tested the pH and he dipped it into the universe. Not really, but this is the way I imagine it. And he looked at it and he said, it's good. Let's get some people in there. Here's why this matters. If I understand what the Bible is saying about humankind's place in the universe, then I can also be confident that God has a place ready for me. God has a place ready for me. God doesn't drop his masterpieces into an empty, chaotic mess of nothingness and expect them to find their own way. Think about that. That's literally what the book of Genesis has told us. Do you remember that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless, it was void. It was one of the ancient words there is chaos, it was empty. And there was nothing to it. And that is not the moment when God said, let us create humankind. God does not take his masterpieces and drop them into the empty, messy, void, nothingness of chaos. Some of us want to raise our hand and say, well, I would beg to differ. <laughs> because we've experienced moments in our lives when it feels like we have been dropped into the empty, messy, nothingness of chaos. But Genesis says, be careful in that moment and recognize that's not how I deal with my masterpieces. When you go to the museum, 
There is a lock on the gift shop door where you can buy a poster with a print of your favorite painting. But there is state-of-the-art security and climate control over the masterpiece itself. Everything in that environment is perfect. And God says, you are my masterpiece. I put you in the right place. I have the perfect place ready for you. I read the verse already, but let me remind you, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, tells us this explicitly. It says, the Lord God took the man and he placed him in the Garden of Eden. I want you to think about that. It's not a throwaway line. We just got done saying that the Lord God had created an entire cosmos, one that we as human beings still have not been able to successfully measure. That's how big it is. And then it says, and then he created, created humankind, he created man, and in that entire cosmos, there was one particular place that he said, this is the right place. This is where I want you. The Lord God took the man and he placed him in the Garden of Eden. Well, that's the beginning of time. What about the end of time? Does that not sound a little bit, is that not a bit familiar? To what Jesus said to his disciples, John 14, verse 2, he said, you know, I'm going away now. I am going to my Father's kingdom to do what? To prepare a place for you. The universe begins with God preparing a place for his people. The universe ends with God preparing a place for his people. Does anybody want to hazard a guess as to what is going on in the middle? God is preparing a place for his people. Yield yourself to God's call. Submit to his authority. Obey his direction. And you will find yourself in the place he has prepared for you. A place where you will flourish because it was designed for you with you in mind. And when you realize that, start paying attention. Notice your surroundings. Take note of how God has prepared that place for you and what your role might be. The Bible says that Adam wasn't placed in the Garden of Eden merely so he could string up a hammock and enjoy the sunset. Genesis chapter 2, 15, same verse. I've read it a couple of times already. I'm going to read it again, see if you can catch it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Have you ever noticed that? We talk about the Garden of Eden. It was the Garden of Paradise, right? But the Bible says even in paradise, there's work to be done. And the story of our beginnings teaches us that humankind has a role in creation. We have a role in creation. We have work to do. And you read the rest of these first few uh, chapters of Genesis, and we understand that role a little bit better. Let me give you some of the highlights. God says to Adam, you've got some work here to do. I need you to tend the garden. I need you to harvest the fruit. I want you to exercise authority over the animals. I made a lot of them, and the monkeys are getting out of control. You need to exercise some control and authority over the animals. And he actually says in one case, he uses these phrase, or this phrase, subdue the earth. In other words, what God is saying is, hey, you guys are in charge. Take care of all of this. In the Bible, to be in charge of something always means take good care of it. 
provide for it, take care of it. You guys need to take care of all of this creation. And you could think of it all this way. God gave human beings something that he did not give to any other part of his creation. And that thing that he gave us is responsibility. He gave us responsibility. You see, mountains are beautiful, but they don't have a job. Comets are amazing, but they don't have a job. Horseshoe crabs do not have jobs. The ficus plant in your living room does not have a job. Living things in the universe only know how to stay alive and how to propagate their own species. But human beings are different. The Bible says that a big part of our job is to take care of the rest of God's creation. And no other beings in all of creation have that responsibility. You know, the thing that I learned about my aquarium after I set it up, those fish never learned to clean their own aquarium. I told them a lot of times because I was a kid myself, I had heard it, and so I passed along that which I had learned. Would you please clean up after yourselves? And they didn't. Algae would grow in there. And as beautiful as that aquarium was the day I set it up, it got really funky. And, and those fish would poop. And they would swim in their own poop. And there are particular species of fish that they tell you you can buy to put in the aquarium because those fish eat the poop and clean it up. And some of them do. And you know what they do then? They poop. How is that helping? How is that helping? And so the aquarium would get dirty and it would get messy. And you know who had to clean it? Me. I had to clean it because I'm not a fish. I'm a person. And it's the job of humankind to take care of the rest of creation. Incidentally, that's one of the reasons I don't have an aquarium anymore. Or any other pets, thank you very much. But that's a whole other issue that I'm going to try. Where am I here, anyhow? Oh, here it is. Here's why all of that matters. Living in God's kingdom means knowing that God has a mission for me. God has a mission for me. Follower of Jesus Christ, let me tell you today with the authority of all of scripture, you have a purpose. You have a role. And if the story of Adam is instructive to us, it means that your role likely includes tending to God's creative work, helping the rest of creation to flourish, even as you yourself flourish in your created role. If you are among God's people, then all of creation is better off because you're here. And understanding the creation story means knowing that you don't have to live your life in the drudgery and the monotony of just getting by, just existing. Your life has meaning. And even if you can't see it, didn't we say that last week? Boy, it's a good thing we already learned that. I don't have to see it to trust it. So let me freely say this week, even if you can't see it, creation itself is benefiting because God has given you the responsibility to care. You can make a difference. But you say, I don't know how to make a difference. Well, fortunately, you've come to the right place because Genesis chapter one and two can help with that as well. One of the themes of these chapters is this, humankind was given instructions. 
Humankind was given instructions. Remember my aquarium? Remember my visit to the library and how I snarkily told you the story about using the card catalog to find the books that had instructions for them? Well, I read those instructions. I want you to imagine here that I didn't have instructions. Imagine that I had decided that I wanted to create an aquarium. I wanted to bring life into my parents' family room as a junior high. And so I got all the things that I would need for an aquarium, but I had no instructions. I had no idea how to make fish life work. No understanding. Well, what's the most important thing? We start with the most important thing, fish. Great, I'll go to the pet store, I'll buy some fish, dump them in there. Now what do the fish need? Well, maybe they're gonna need some water. Should have thought of that first. See, order is important, isn't it? Order is important. Without instructions, I put the fish in first and the water second. Not, not gonna work. Let's give me a little bit more credit than that, though. Let's say maybe I understood that much. Maybe I knew that fish come in water, so maybe we should have some water for them when they arrive. So I put water in the aquarium, I buy the fish, I come in and put them in there. And then I think, you know, this looks nice, but you know what would really take it up a notch? Gravel. And so I get myself a nice 50-pound bag of gravel, and I rip it open, and I just pour it in there and summarily bury all the fish that I just bought. And the fish, once more, are dead. Kel Keith, there are no fish under this gravel, right? <laughs> you guys can ask Kel about that later, right? Okay, let's give me a little bit more credit than that. Let's say I know how to put the gravel in. Let's say I know how to put the rocks in. I know the plants. I know the fish need water. I am telling you right now, no longer being sarcastic, the little, literal truth, there was no way I would just know how to set up the chemistry and the chemicals and the balance in that aquarium if I had enough instructions. I could build an aquarium, I mean, by that I mean set up an aquarium, that looked great, that had the light, that had the gravel, that had the rocks, that had the plants, that had all those things I described at the beginning of the message that, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. You almost don't even need to put fish in there. But there's no way I would have known it needs this much chlorine in it. It needs this much salt in it. It needs this much of what I don't even remember what the drops were that we used to put in there. I would have no way of knowing that. And I would go and I would buy the fish and I would put them in there and they'd be dead the next morning. There's no way you're going to get life to flourish if you don't have the instructions. You're never going to be able to do it. Now, in the Bible, when we say the instructions, what we're really talking about, I mean, let's be honest here, we're talking about the commandments. We're talking about the law of God. And people, you know, they kind of know this. And so they have a tendency to disparage the Bible. They say, yeah, isn't it just a big book of, of, of laws and rules? You know, God's not very fun. He's kind of a killjoy, actually, isn't he? You know, thou shalt not do this, and thou shalt not do that. And, you know, thank you very little. I don't, I don't need any of that. And sometimes when we hear that messaging, the response of well-meaning Christians is, is we feel the need to defend the Bible, which, just listen to that phrase there for a second. Isn't that kind of silly of us? Like, I'm going to defend the word of God. Whatever. But sometimes in our effort to, to do so, to defend the Bible, we end up saying silly things that really aren't true, and they certainly aren't very helpful. And there's theological problems with them, and we end up doing more harm than good. I'm thinking of things that I hear people say sometimes when somebody says, isn't the Bible just a big book of rules and laws? Who needs that? And not uncommonly, you'll hear somebody respond, oh, no, 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 those rules don't matter. 
We don't have to pay attention to them anymore. We live under grace. That's really bad theology, folks. Or sometimes people say, well, no, 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 those, those rules are all in the Old Testament. That's for the Jews. We don't even have to read that part anymore. We, we are a people of the New Testament glory. Hallelujah. Uh, look, that statement, beyond being kind of racist, frankly, is, is, is just not accurate. It's not true, and it's, it's not theologically solid. Can I tell you the truth here today? Can I tell you the truth? The Bible, let's just be honest, it really does have a lot of laws in it. It really does have a lot of commandments in it, and they do matter. They do matter to us, but here's the good news. Those laws and those rules are very, very good. They're very, very good, and let me show you. I'm gonna read back through a few of the verses that I read today. I chose them specifically because they contain the first three commandments that God gave to humankind. Now, maybe you didn't pick up on it the first time I read it because they're not predicated with thou shalt not. Okay, but I'm going to read the verses again and see if you can pick it up this time. The first three commandments that God gives to humankind, you find in Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. I read it before. It says, God blessed humankind and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Did you catch it? Three commandments in there. Let me highlight them for you. The first one that I heard, be fruitful and increase in number. Very first commandment that God gave to humankind was be fruitful and increase in number. Can I just translate that into comfortable everyday English for us? The first thing God told people to do was make sure you have a lot of babies. Go make a lot of babies. The second thing was fill the earth and subdue it, rule over every living creature. Can I translate for you? Second commandment God gave humanity was go be in charge. Third thing, I give you every plant, they will be yours for food. I'm gonna translate that, just make it simple. Go eat a lot of food. Every plant, he says, everything I have given you is yours to eat. So to some here, and I don't mean to be trite about this, this is what God is saying. The first three commandments in the entire Bible, I think people might think about the 10 commandments or this law or that, but literally the first three things that God told humanity to do. Number one, go have a lot of babies. Number two, go be in charge of things. And number three, make sure you eat a lot of food while you're doing it. And I would submit to you that those are three activities that most adults enjoy quite a bit. They're, they're things that are life-giving. They're things that are joyful. God placed humankind in his perfectly ordered creation. He gave them responsibility for it. And then he gave them the instructions that they would need in order to flourish in it. God literally gave our species everything we would need to know how to succeed. Here's why this matters. I can live my life knowing that God has resources ready for me. His resources are ready for me. God does not lead his masterpieces into situations without giving them the means, not just to survive, but to flourish. What did Jesus say? I, would, I came that you would have life, period, full stop, end of sentence. I came that you would get by, 
survive? No, no, no. Jesus said, I came so that you would have life and you would have it to the fullest. But he wasn't making a new announcement when he said that. He was reminding the people of God that that's how it has been set up from the beginning. I came that you would have life and have that to the fullest, wherever you might be. When you yield yourself to God's call, when you submit to his authority, and when you obey his direction, you can depend on him to give you the resources you need to flourish. Let me be real quick here. Is that fancy talk? Is that Christian code words here for saying that if you obey God, you will get rich? Because it kind of sounded like that to me, didn't it? No, that's not what I'm saying. It's actually much better than that. I believe that what the story is telling us is that in a sense, God has given his people an unfair advantage in life. If, if you play video games, it's kind of like saying we alone have access to the cheat codes. We know how the game is designed to work because we know the one who designed the game. And all that's required is that we actually listen to what he says about it. Well, sign me up for that. Sign me up for that. This is why the psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. How many of us have read verses like that in the Bible and, and, and thought, man, the psalmist is kind of like a brown noser, isn't he? Like a good two-shoes of some sort. You know, teacher, I just love obeying so much. It's my favorite. Could, could we obey at recess? You know, could we? And, and you're like, man, that's not like, that's not human nature. That's, that's not normal at all. But see, the psalmist understands what's going on. He says, Lord, I love your law. I love that I have an instruction book for how life is supposed to work so that it would flourish because without it, I would have set that aquarium up and killed all my fish. But I have a book right here that tells me how everything is supposed to work so that it will not merely survive, but that it will flourish and that it will bring life and that it will propagate and that it will be beautiful. The psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. I, like, I, just, I can't stop thinking about it. It's awesome. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me. And ooh, I like this one. He says, and you know what? They make me wiser than my enemies. Can we have real talk here? Church, like, you know, like, we need to be careful not to brag. Don't walk in love and humility. Read the word of God. You will be smarter than the rest of the world. You will be smarter than the rest of the world. You might not get straight A's on your next physics exam or whatever else. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but you will be smarter than the rest of the world. You will say, God, this is awesome. You, 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 you tell me exactly how to make this work. What could be better than that? Amen. I imagine that there are those among us today that are going through a season perhaps right now where you feel lost. You have questions about your existence, where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing, where you're supposed to be headed. 
And I think that everybody in this room knows what it's like to feel like that once in a while. My encouragement for you today is this. Those questions have answers. Those questions have answers. When your life is submitted to Jesus, you can live in the confidence that God has a place ready for you, God has a mission ready for you, and God has resources ready for you. But just like I've said a couple of times, all of these promises come with one kind of really, really important asterisk on them. Because in order to find those things, what you need to do is rest in the shelter of his kingdom rule and his kingdom reign. That's where you find those things. Can I tell you one more very quick aquarium story? I got the aquarium set up for a few years. I added fish to it, had a lot of fun with my aquarium. Then I began to diversify a little bit, throw some snails in there. I had some little aquatic frogs for a while. That was kind of fun. And one time I was in the pet store and I saw these little aquatic uh, crabs. That's awesome. So I bought, I think I had three crabs, bought the crabs, and they used to scurry around on the bottom there and, and the gravel and crawl around things, and the fish would look at them, and they'd be It was a lot of fun. You know what I didn't know? Crabs are escape artists. These crabs would crawl up those plastic plants, and I used to watch them. They'd crawl up there, and the plastic plant would kind of, and then, and then they'd just kind of float back down to the bottom. It was kind of fun to watch. But one morning, I came down and turned on the light in my aquarium, and there were only two crabs. And I thought, boy, that's, that's interesting. I could have sworn that last night we were free. Uh, didn't really know what to do with that. Discovered a couple of days later that crab number one had climbed to the top of one of those plants and managed to get himself onto one of the tubes that went to the filter and used that to climb right out of the aquarium and plummeted down into the carpet in my parents' family room where he pretty quickly met his ultimate demise because crabs do not live in carpet. <laughs> and so we located the, the carcass of this former crab and we tossed him away. And I checked the top of the aquarium to make sure that there were no holes there so that no future crabs could escape and meet similar demises. And within a week or two, both of them had. Imagine what's going through the minds of those crabs as they climb up the plastic plants and, and onto the tubing for the filter and through the hole in the lid of the aquarium, shouting, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at... <laughs> because there's no life outside the protective environment of the kingdom I had created for them. You want to know that God has a place for you? You want to tap into the resources that God has for you. You want to know that God has a mission for your life. You've got to be in the aquarium. You've got to be in the kingdom. And so as we close today, I want you to just bow your heads and give some thought to that. I want you to consider just as we've done each of these last couple of weeks, what God might be saying to you now. Do you remember uh, Finding Nemo? If you're in the aquarium, you can still talk, you know, to the fish that have made it out of the aquarium. And you might be thinking right now, in, in some ways, is my life in the aquarium or is it out of the aquarium? Look, wherever you are, you can hear my voice. And more importantly, you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
as he says to you, before the foundation of time, I formed you and I shaped you. It's not in our text for today, but how more appropriate on Mother's Day for you to hear the Lord say, and I place you in your mother's womb. And for every day of your life, I've been about the work of preparing a place for you. I believe he would say to some in this room right now, thank you for being in that place. Thank you for resting in my protective hand. No, you're not perfect. I'm not making that proclamation over you. But I believe God is saying to you today, you found the place I have for you. And because of that, you know, you know the purposes of your life. And because of that, you have access to the resources I've prepared for you. You are blessed. But I believe there are also those who would hear the voice of the Lord say, would you come? Would you come into the aquarium? Would you come into the perfect place that I have for you? I created an entire cosmos, but there is one place where I need your heart right now. And it's in my hand. I believe you'd hear the words of the Holy Spirit say to you, stop struggling to find a freedom that looks appealing but isn't really there. Stop rebelling against what you think is a restrictive authority and come into my presence and discover the life-giving instructions that I have given you. I want to tell you how this works. If you hear God saying that to you today, I invite you in the quietness of your own heart to just respond to him by saying these three words. Lord, I'm home. Lord, I'm home. The first step is as simple as that. Lord, I'm home. Father, you hear the hearts of your people in this room. You rejoice in the homecoming. You rejoice that the family is flourishing. Because going back an unknown number of years and millennia, that was your plan all along. And your plan that was good then is still in effect today. So bless your people today, I pray, Lord. We can pray with confidence because of our understanding that you have given us a place, you have given us a mission, and you have given us the instruction we need. We thank you for all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.